to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. This episode is a special treat, and that is because this is our very first in a series of four CADCA-sponsored High Truths podcasts. CADCA is one of my favorite world organizations. Really, everyone loves CADCA, the Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. Every year, they invited me to speak at their National Leadership Forum and Mid-Year Training Institute. CADCA is known for their signature training events. The conferences are one of my favorites because of the engaged prevention professionals who attend to ask questions, learn, and implement the best ideas that will improve their hometown. I cherish our prevention professionals because they are not enough of them, and yet our future, our youth, depend on their work. CADCA represents over 5,000 community coalitions that involve individuals from key sectors, including schools, law enforcement, youth, parents, healthcare, media, and more. CADCA has members in every U.S. state and territory and in more than 30 countries around the world. The CADCA coalition model emphasizes the power of community coalitions to prevent substance misuse through collaborative community efforts. CADCA believes, and I certainly agree, that prevention of substance use and misuse before it starts is the most effective and cost-efficient way to reduce substance use and its associated costs. Benjamin Franklin would certainly agree an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And thus, this episode of High Truths is dedicated to the discussion of prevention. We will start this episode with a question from a special CADCA listener. Hi, my name is Tira Safir and I'm with Council for Drug-Free Youth and I want to ask you a question. How can coalitions address substance misuse in their communities before addiction treatment services are needed? This CADCA question simply must be answered by a CADCA expert. Our expert today is Dr. Joy Wanner Sweeney. Dr. Sweeney serves as a Deputy Director of the Training, Technical Assistance, and Outreach Department at CADCA, where she oversees, directs, supervises, and monitors quality standards for the daily operation of CADCA's training programs to develop community coalitions in the United States. Did I mention that CADCA is known for their signature training events? And Dr. Sweeney is responsible for the development, administration, and implementation of CADCA's training delivery systems, coalition development, and outreach. These events reach more than 15,000 trained volunteers. Dr. Sweeney also represents CADCA as the Opioid Response Network Liaison for Training, Work Development, and Unique Population Education. She has been involved in the prevention work for some time. Prior to joining CADCA, she served as the CEO and Executive Director of the Council for Drug-Free Youth, CADFI, serving Central Missouri. She chaired a statewide organization in Missouri that provided education regarding the unintended consequences of marijuana legalization and was the treasurer of Tobacco-Free Missouri. She has presented at conferences throughout the nation on drug prevention, addiction, mental health, and the societal impact of substance misuse, including alcohol, tobacco, opioids, and marijuana. 
Prior to her public health career, she earned a doctorate degree in organization management from Capella University, an MBA from the American Intercontinental University, and an undergraduate degree in business administration. Dr. Joy Sweeney's bio is included in the High Truth show notes. Dr. Joy Sweeney, welcome to High Truths. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Love. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. And we're so excited to have you and so grateful for Katka for partnering on this podcast series. So, Dr. Sweeney, you started your life in business and administration, and uh, that could be a far away from dealing with public health and prevention. What? Uh, how did that path come across for you? Well, I am the mother of a four, five children, actually, technically. Um, I have four grandchildren and a great-grandchild. And so um, I started this career rather later in my life. My youngest was a freshman in high school when I began the prevention field. I had one that had graduated, two that had already graduated, one was in college. And so my other one was a senior at the time. And I just thought that this was something that was lacking in the education. I was on the school board, on our local school board, and there were all kinds of different policies coming before me that we were looking at. I also had a grandfather who died of cirrhosis of the liver. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, he had alcohol. He had an They're alcohol. both correct. He had an alcohol. Thank you. He had an, I'm not a medical doctor, okay? <laughs> he had an alcohol problem. <laughs> And, um, you know, so, um, it was a problem in our family. Um, uh, my, my father didn't drink, neither did my mother. Um, and so they both were athletes and, and believed in taking care of your body. And so I had a family history on both sides of, of that, uh, issue, the issue of, of alcohol and substance misuse. And so it really, resonated with me when the opportunity to serve our community in this capacity, um, you know, in Missouri, school board members are not paid. You spend money to get elected to the school board and then you serve. Uh And um, I have a very servant heart and um, it was all about serving the community in a way that I felt was extremely needed and, um, and a way to educate youth. And, um, and like, your quote from Benjamin Franklin, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's one of the things I would say at our annual banquet every year, <laughs> because it is so very true. The cost of treatment and then the number of times it's unsuccessful and people have to go back through and, and recovery is such a struggle for so many people. It's such a challenge. And our society doesn't make it easy. Um, we vilify people often and criminalize them for addiction, which is unfortunately a disease and a problem that people need help to um, elevate themselves out of. Therefore, prevention, primary prevention is the key um, to understanding how to live life to its fullest because living life addicted to drugs, you're enslaving yourselves um, to uh, a problem. You're enslaving yourselves. You're not free. You're not free when you um, are dependent upon substances, and it really makes um, your life uh, more challenging and those of uh, your, the lives of the people around you. And so it was. It was a, 
It was an opportunity that was presented to me that was easy for me to just say, yes, I have to do this, you know? <laughs> and, and we thank you for doing that. And I, I love what you had to say. I mean, being a mother and a grandmother um, and, and an advocate and having the personality of a serving heart. Um, and that's beautiful. And I, I would say that uh, most of the people who work for CADCA and work on prevention have a serving heart. So that's beautiful. Um, CADCA is the world's leading organization in, in prevention and one of the very few, um, sadly. And the focus is on primary prevention. Can you let us know what that, that means? And we know that Katika said that, you know, the title of this show is the three rules of addiction are prevention, 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 uh, kind of like real estate, you know, uh, right. location, exactly. location, location. Exactly. Do you need to say any more? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and absolutely. Prevention is key and, and truly primary prevention is basically stopping something before it starts. Um, it, Really, uh, the goal between behind CADCA is empowering. How do you achieve primary prevention? Is to empower young people to compel them to live their life wholly without the um, the challenges that addiction and enslavement to substance misuse causes. Um, and the challenges are so great, and the risk and and it's all about risks and protective factors. And I mean, right now in the midst of a pandemic, um, what more can we say about how important primary prevention is? Preventing things before they start provide us the opportunity to alleviate all the challenges that having something starting like this, uh, a disease or a pandemic or anything like that. And unfortunately, Mental health and substance use disorder go hand in hand, and and those are some of the challenges that we're seeing right now um, in the midst of everything that's going on in our country right now, in our world right now. And so how we move forward is going to be key, but hopefully... um, uh, one of the many silver linings, uh, one of the few silver linings that come out of this is the emphasis that we all need to take um, for environmental strategies and public health perspective of prevention and um, how important primary prevention is in the continuum of care. Yes, you have to treat problems once they occur. And yes, recovery is possible. But the the level of effort and energy and investment in prevention needs to be elevated so that we don't have to live our lives in that huge center perspective where it's all about treatment and and recovery. Let's keep it from happening in the first place. And that is possible. It is absolutely possible. And we um, as a society and us as adults have a responsibility to our young people because unfortunately, that's where the age of onset is, is, is the 12 to 17 year old age group. And they aren't, their brains aren't fully developed. They aren't capable of making, um, the decision making. They don't, they aren't capable of the decision making skills that is, that are necessary to prevent them from the addiction that often occurs with substance misuse. It's an age when people, young people try new things and, and really, um, the, some of the times those things can be deadly 
they often can lead to dire consequences. So many of the young, the challenges that young people face are surrounding substance misuse, unfortunately. And, and we have a obligation as a society to protect our youth, to protect our, our future, um, you know, uh, in, in doing that. And this is one of those important ways. I, I want to give a, a mini lesson to our listeners about the difference is of the various prevention. There's primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. And Katka, you know, is interested in all of them, but you said, you know, real focus on primary prevention. And primary prevention is exactly what you said, preventing a disease or injury before it ever occurs. So masks for COVID or legislation banning asbestos or seat belts or bicycle helmets and really the important work that CADCA does. Secondary Prevention means reducing the impact of a disease that has already occurred. So you already have breast cancer, but we're going to get mammograms to kind of detect that early and prevent the spread of cancer or aspirin after a, a heart attack to prevent further disease of, of your heart or smoking ban indoor. Um, those are example of secondary prevention. And tertiary prevention aims to soften the impact of an ongoing disease. For example, after having a stroke or a heart attack, there is rehabilitation to get you better after this event. There is also naloxone and fentanyl strips to help you prevent from overdosing once you have an opioid addiction. So the emphasis with CADCA on primary prevention, you said it's reasonable, but is it reasonable? Can really, can you really expect kids to be drug-free? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the you asked me a yes or no question, but you know how I agree. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. Um, and, and, you know, the thing about um, substance misuse prevention is, um, does it mean that they will never try something? Not necessarily, but does it mean that they um, won't become uh, ha have the consequences of long term use or addiction? Absolutely, it's preventable, and and yes, it is absolutely preventable um, to keep to expect them to not try that during that twelve to seventeen year old time frame. And how we do that is by empowering them and providing them those protective factors. If they don't have them in the family, we provide them in the community, and we use policy change in the community to alleviate the opportunity for them to have access. Um, I know that when I was working in at the coalition level in our community, one of the things that we did was have uh, compliance checks. And the first time we did compliance checks, over 66% of the area retailers were selling alcohol to minors underage. And the more and we- Can you explain that? What is compliance checks? What is a compliance check? You go out and you go into a facility and you have a minor that's there with a, a law enforcement officer um, to protect them. And they go up and they bring alcohol to the counter. Um, then the, the minors are, you know, obviously waivers are signed by the minor and the parent to allow them to do this. Um, and they can't have any facial hair. They have to look underage too. They can't be somebody who looks like they're 25 and, and, and really, so were, we're not trying to pull a fast one. But what we're trying to do is educate 
the retailers in some in communities. And so the youth go into the facility and grab a, can, a six pack of beer and go up to the counter and try to purchase it. And typically they don't show fake IDs or anything like that. They say, oh, I forgot my ID. And, and then to see if the retailer will, will sell to them. And, uh, if they do, then they fail the compliance check. And if they don't, then they are successful in the compliance check. And, um, uh, interesting. You do that with alcohol. Do you do it with tobacco too? Yes. Yes. There's compliance checks for alcohol and tobacco. And, and hopefully in the states where marijuana is legal, they're, they're doing that with that as well. You know, um, again, a lot of those policies have not been put in place with that substance yet. <laughs> but yes, that is what is done. And, and so if they fail this to have 66% of those retailers fail so the kids all know where they can go and and purchase and and that's what they do and it's easy to access it and what you can do is through policy and educating and and we do retail sales um responsible beverage server trainings for these retailers so that you provide the education to the retailers so that they understand um what the rules are and they understand that look you know, you can't be the nice guy to everybody. You've got to do what's right and that there are consequences and not consequences for the young people as much as the consequences for the retailers, because then they are the ones that are assuming the responsibility and the liability. And uh, yes, those are things that can be done. There's a myriad of other practices, but yes, this is for alcohol, tobacco, any any substance that there's a minimum age requirement. Those um, compliance checks can be done for, for young people to protect them from having access to those substances. And that's um, one of the many policy changes that we can recommend. And, and one of the sad things um, about what's going on now is that they're doing the curbside sales and or delivery of substances. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. a lot of states are putting laws on the books to possibly continue this beyond um, the pandemic. And that's something that would be very, very, very dangerous for our young people. And, and we're hopeful that um, the lawmakers understand the consequences of the, these decisions. We um, here at High Truths, we went on a field trip to a pot shop and we saw the, you know, they basically have like a 911 dispatch and vehicles going in and out, in and out all the time, um, delivering uh, marijuana products. It was pretty amazing. I was thinking, why don't we deliver, you know, our COVID medicines? <laughs> what a solution. Um, that it's interesting you say concentrating on kids age 12 to 17, I have found in, in my practice in the emergency department that if someone is starting addict, uh, is there for an addiction, I'll ask them how old were they when they started. A lot of people will say 11. Right. You know, right. it's getting younger and younger. Every pretty, year. Uh, pretty sad. Those numbers go down every year. Yeah. And, and actually, um, the coalition that I work with in Missouri um, started at kindergarten. To be perfectly honest with you, the, the primary age of onset is 12 to 17. But um, we had a program that fifth graders did kind of a song and dance routine for the elementary schools throughout the central Missouri region. And they um, basically did an entire skit, a 30 minute skit and, and kindergartners through fifth graders watched this presentation. And, and so, yes, no, you there's 
you can't, um, if the, the young people can communicate, there's a way to communicate that this is not healthy. I saw that in one of your presentations. It was kindergarten kids sitting in a gym holding a sign that says, be drug free. It was so cute. <laughs> but, it, you know, you, you can't start early enough. You really can't. Um, you know, parents you can't start- be afraid of the topic and not bring it up because then they'll hear it from the streets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And parents start their children brushing their teeth at, at what, as soon as they get the teeth. You know, at two years old, you're brushing teeth. Right. It's- prevent cavities, correct? That's right. Right. I mean, these are our habits that you start when, you know, healthy habits is start at a young, young age. Um, so yeah, pre- primary prevention definitely is a reasonable goal. Another podcast we had was with Dr. Uh, Robert DuPont. And, and I asked him, we know people say, well, you know, kids are going to have sex anyway. And, and he, his response was so smart. He says, that's because sex is biological. For people to use drugs, that's not biological. Other animals don't use drugs to survive. The human uh, race doesn't use the drugs. It's it's against survival. It's not uh, biological, um, and and therefore it, it is a reasonable uh, goal. And and I, I agree with you. It's our job to protect and 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 possible. No, I was going to say, and it's becoming more and more challenging. The more substances you make societally acceptable, the more challenging it becomes to prevent them from using. So one of the things that you're in, involved with is the Opioid Response Network. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how is CADCA involved? Well, the Opioid Response Network, CADCA is a, a sub-recipient of um, components of that. And we're primarily working on the... Um, uh, workforce development to bring more preventionists into the field. Um, obviously, opioid, the opioid epidemic and, and one of the catastrophic components of the opioid epidemic is the number of deaths that we see from opioids. Um, and the numbers unfortunately have increased throughout this pandemic. Um, and that is so gut-wrenching. Um, and so one of the things that yes. we would like to do with this whole opioid response network, it's a it's a nationwide, the states, and we, we provide technical assistance and training. And CADCA is involved with the workforce development to bring more preventionists out to the field to understand and help um, educate and work with coalitions, work with community health departments, work with whatever entities, um, uh, any public health provider or um, med, you know hospitals, doctors, dentists, all of the entities that are working to schools, of course, um, working to prevent uh, opioids and addiction, opioid addiction specifically, but um, all uh, now we're getting into meth and feminine, methamphetamines and stimulants as well um, through the Opioid Response Network because we're seeing that um, challenge uh afflict many communities. And so we're trying to address all of those concerns and we will provide training, um, technical assistance in the capacity of training people within those communities to address the problem, as well as workforce development. So those are all challenges that people don't know what they don't know um, regarding how to address this problem and, and really environmental factors, changing policies, um, changing physical design and really addressing it on a, a holistic approach with a holistic approach throughout the community, um, to change the way that we look at it as, um, will help 
reframe the mindset, reframe the thinking. You've got to change attitudes before you can change behaviors. And so once you change those attitudes towards the substance misuse, um, you can redirect behavior and, and really reach the level of primary prevention. Well, I'm definitely so thankful for that and for the workforce issue, because again, we don't have enough people working or focused on prevention. So that's so critically important to get that throughout the United States. Now, this Opioid Response Network is part of um, the mission of the CDC. Is that right? Correct. The Center of Disease Control. Yes, it is. I don't think many people realize that, that CADCA has a very strong relationship with the Center of Disease Control, the CDC. Right. And, and the Drug-Free Communities and the Office of National Drug Control Policy. And then, of course, SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Systems Administration. So we've got partnerships across the spectrum uh, with different national entities that address, uh, you know, SAMHSA did the Prevention Day at the beginning of the National Leadership Forum for CADCA. And so we've done that for I think the past 17 years now. Um, so we partner with the CDP and SAMHSA and Office of National Drug Control Policy uh, to help prevention efforts out in communities, build local communities, local coalitions so that they have all different sectors working together, the business sector and the health, health sector and the school sectors and the law enforcement sectors collaborating on solutions that are best for the community. It's not a problem that you can say this works in one community and the same solution is going to work in a different community. Sometimes there's, there's cross, um, capabilities, but the solutions have to be local. And that's where some of the challenges come in because it's how do I do this in my community is the big question that is always asked. How, but how will it work for us? How will it work in a rural community? We're not in an urban area. We don't have access to all of these other things. How can we do it here? Or how can we do it in a tribal community? And so we try and help, um, knowing the things that we know about how effective different strategies and different, um, factors can be at addressing prevention. We try and help um, them trans, you know, the local communities transform it into their own language or their own culture and bring it to um, a variety of uh, levels so that everybody understands how they can be effective. And that's so important. And 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 uh, you give that inspiration. And I see it in the conferences too. People are, you know, taking notes and they're learning things and they're thinking about, okay, now how can I implement it for home? Because that's where they live. That's where their children and grandchildren are. Um, so it, it means a lot to them. And I'm so glad that CACA doesn't work just on opioids. You also address all the other problems such as alcohol, marijuana, tobacco, and other drugs. They cannot be serious about prevention um, if they don't mention marijuana because yeah. it usually starts with alcohol and marijuana. And so you could say, well, I'm going to try to work with these pharmacies and opiates, but they cannot be serious about prevention unless you go back and see how things start. So it's refreshing to hear that you work on very different things, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, tobacco, we've done a great job in the nation of, of reducing the tobacco use of con conveying all the long-term health consequences and the deaths 
and the, the challenges that that has caused people. And, and then, you know, the tobacco industry brings in a whole new product called the vape. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, and, and, and those are also available. Right. Through marijuana, I mean, you can vape almost anything, and 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 all of the challenges that that, you know, the industry um, understands that once you start using most of these drugs or substances, that they become addictive, and the younger that you start using, the more likely it is that you will become addicted. Long term, as a matter of fact, if your age of first use and the you, better, and the better for business, right? Right, because for business. you'll live for a longer time and you'll be able to use the products. Hello, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I have numbers to go with all this, but the numbers are so boring. The compelling stories are how people work their way out and how people um, help other people. Um, stay drug free and how important it is to live a drug free life and how much more life means to people who live drug free and how optimistic. I was just in a call with a, a group that's doing a tribal boot camp of trying to help tribal communities, um, native, all different native tribal communities help their communities through cultural um, understanding of the culture and, and the value that their culture has. And it's terrific to see, um, them sharing and knowing that it is possible. And that's one of the things that if I can do nothing else, I just want to convey that prevention is possible and it happens every day. And another young pe person will, would come to me and say, you know what? I had a, a young fifth grade student who came to me one time and, and said, I love my daddy and I will always love my father, but I could never do what he did. And I hope that someday he can understand what his um, drinking and smoking, I don't think he knew that he was dead with smoking marijuana, but what his drinking and smoking did and why he had to leave me and my mom and how it, how much it hurt me, but I could never do that to anybody. And here he is now. He's about 17 or 18. He was about to graduate from high school. And he said, I said, so have you regretted those words that you said to me seven or eight years ago? And he said, no, Mrs. Sweeney. And I, you know, he didn't, I didn't correct him. I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> you have to call me doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't regret that at all. He said, because it has helped me make the best choices throughout my high school career. And I'm going on in my life and going to continue. He was one of our safety kids. I'm going to continue with that lifestyle and help other people understand how important it is because I'm going to be a great father. And I just, I mean, I was practically in tears and it was Aww. just so heartwarming to know. And unfortunately, so often other young people are, are touched by people in their lives who have issues with addiction. And he didn't hate his father. We don't hate people that smoke or drink or use substances because it's not about them not wanting to stop. At that point in time, it's because they can't stop. 
Um, and addiction consumes the brain and we all know that it's the disease and, you know, but everybody doesn't. Um, and young children, you know, 10 year old children don't understand why their parents can't stop doing those things and, and be the parent they need them to be. And so often the consequences are way beyond just the substance user or misuser. They're, they impact a much broader violence in our communities and, and all kinds of other issues, bullying in schools and so many other issues um, that we could, we could talk for hours and still not touch on. <laughs> yeah. The best solution is prevention. <laughs> Back to prevention. First, second, third. <laughs> um, you, you know, the story with the, with this young boy is so heartwarming. You called him a safety kid. kid. I mean, is that mean, parents who have have used and you call them the safety kids? No, actually, it was a, a program that we did to empower fifth grade students to start thinking. And they they were the ones that would go around and do that, the program um, to the kindergarten through fifth grade students. And so um, schools and teachers and principals would get together and we'd have representatives from all the schools. And just like safety patrol used to be selected back in the day to cross across the street that's it was a program that we created for these young people yeah it was great it's, it's really not my daughter did that they were uh, when they were seniors in high school they went to kindergartens and did shows and it was um it was so nice and all ends because it was nice for the kindergartners to take a break and listen to a program but it was nice for the seniors also such leadership skills and it was a group an, a, a camaraderie of kids who were drug free right. <laughs> and by by your senior year the amount of kids you know who are drug free gets uh smaller Mom, um so that, that was really nice yeah. yeah and and because it's legal alcohol is still the number one um, misused substance by young people, um, in our country. I'm rapidly being approached by marijuana, unfortunately. But, you know, if the age of first use is below the age of 15, um, you're five times more likely to, um, have a substance use disorder as, as an adult. Um, and that, the number is astronomical. And, you know, 70% of those using prior to um, age 13, um, end up with a substance use disorder. And those numbers are staggering. So that's why just raising the age by four or five years is helpful um, to, if we can defer them from using until they're out of high school, it makes all the difference in the world. And certainly if we can defer till after 21, it's that much better. Right, exactly. And so I say that we should use, you know, the gold standard should be the scientific age, which is age 25, 27. 21 is just a legal age that someone made up. But if we want to go follow the science, it's when your brain is done growing, exactly. which is age 25, 27. If we could do that, we would much less addiction in our country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, that would be that would be ideal. Yes. The gold standard 25 to 27. Sure. I'll take it any day. <laughs> yeah, that's well, we, we go with the gold standard and then we could settle for whatever you can as far as legal. But as right. far as if we're talking about science and health, we might as well talk about the gold standard. Well, what I love about CADCA, CADCA is known for its training. What are the strategies that make you so successful? Well, 
You know what, Dr. Love, I'm so glad that you asked me that question because it's all based on the CADCA model for community change, basically helping communities to build a coalition and, and get the technical assistance that they need to, to develop a coalition and establish, bring the right people to the table, and then implementing the essential processes and then moving the coalition to pursue comprehensive strategies, and this is kind of like a high-level action plan to create community change and then ultimately improve population-level outcomes. So, and it's all guided by the strategic prevention framework, but CAPCA's seven strategies are really the gold standard in prevention, and that's what we try and train coalitions to do and community members to do. And I've mentioned environmental strategies when we were talking and basically modifying and changing policies and changing physical design, changing the consequences um, to uh, substance use, and then enhancing access and reducing barriers to um, protective factors. Those are some things that communities can do as a whole to really support youth in staying drug and alcohol free. And then, of course, there's the individual strategies, providing information, enhancing skills, and then providing support to both young people and to their parents and to their trusted adults in their lives. And you know what? We know that it works. As I've said many times, you know, um, prevention is possible. And using the CADCA model, um, we have proof that it is working and that data proves it. The data demonstrates that when the CADCA model is implemented, marijuana use, alcohol use, tobacco use, prescription drug use combined decrease by over 167% among high school and middle school students. And what more can you That's ask impressive. for than, yeah, isn't it awesome? And that's the data drives our decision making. If we know that this strategy, these seven strategies work to really effectively implement community change, then why not share it with the world? You know, if it's not broke, you don't need to fix it. And if you do use something that's already proven, you know, if it's a wheel that works, you use it again and again and again. And so, you know, what we're trying to do and what we know that if we help communities do, they can change attitudes, they can change behaviors, and they can save lives. And that's what it's all about at CADCA, and that's why we train every day. That's so important, and prevention is very much needed, and you're really showing example how CADCA is data-driven, not just a nice slogan like saying no to drugs. That's right, and that's what's so important is to let the data drive the decision-making. Maybe you could share with us a little bit about the science and data behind measuring outcomes for prevention. And that is, you know, that's always been, how can you prove that somebody's not doing something <laughs> because of the work that you're doing? That is always one of the biggest challenges. Um, and so, uh, but there are Tremendous uh, opportunities for data, and and we've got the four core measures that the you know the NISDA survey and the the student surveys, and all of the different states have their different student surveys, and and people are like, well, when you're self-reporting, kids always lie on those things anyway, but they don't. Um, the the science behind that says that if they're anonymous, they don't always lie. They're pretty forthright uh, and forthcoming in those surveys. And that data does show that the different policies 
And, and like I was mentioning regarding the compliance checks or other public health policies that are put in place, um, we've seen from raising the age of tobacco sale from 18 to 21, how that's reduced access to young people and how because the access is reduced, the use is, is reduced. All of these changes have ability and, and we have, uh, Dr. Trulian, with CADCA does all of our evaluation and research and he's phenomenal. He would probably be a better person to answer that question, but <laughs> I know that the data does prove that prevention works and the data does reduce the use. And the more that you um, ascribe to this as a community, I know, you know, we get your mayor and your councilman and your your state representatives, and, and then you come to the national level, the more that you reduce it in your community, the more that you heighten awareness, the more that you put policies and practices in place and get the education out to parents. One of the things in some of the communities that I worked in when we first started, um, the kids thought that about 50% of the kids thought that their parents would be upset if they knew that they were drinking. They're like, yeah, no, my mom and dad probably wouldn't care. And after about five years of educating parents and getting the parents to have those conversations with young people, about 93% of the kids said, oh yeah, my parents would care and they would have a problem if they knew that I was drinking in middle school or at 16 or 15. And so those were the things those are the ways that you can work on environmental strategies and, and really educate a community um, with holistic approaches where the prevention doesn't have to be about punishing anybody. It just has to be about understanding the truth that this is harmful. And it's because your brain is harmed by these substances. And it's because these substances take control of your brain and enslave your brain. They don't allow you to be free and you want to be free to live your best life. And the only way you can do that is pushing those drugs outside of your, your body, keeping them outside of your body. And one of the scary things I think is, is all the deaths that have surrounded opioids have made it so that young people are taking notice a little bit more. Um, and I don't know if I really want that to have to be the way it has to be until there's a, a, a an alcoholic car crash in your community. Nobody takes notice. We don't want it to be have to be a catastrophe for people to wake up, you know. Um, and as parents, we all love our children. And it's not about, oh, well, I did that when I was younger or, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, we have science. We have knowledge. We have, you know, things out there now that are proving to us the dangers. So it's not about, well, we don't know because we do know just like tobacco. We do know. We do know how devastating the consequences of substance use are and we can do something about it. And if you don't speak up, you are complicit. And there, you know, you really bring up the educational moments. I mean, the horrible car crash that you don't ever want to see happen is an educational moment for that community or um, the young boy whose father was using alcohol and smoking marijuana. That was educational for him. That was a negative, you learn from negative examples. Um, so I think that that's really nice. And hopefully we answered um, Tiara's question about prevention. How do you stop things before they they stop? It's, it, it's not a, uh, it's not a one sentence answer, or even a one podcast answer. Um, it, it's a holistic 
um, a, approach from an individual level, community level, uh, schools, parents we talked about, laws, ordinances. Um, so a whole system approach that when implemented makes a change. We know that makes a change. We have living examples, right? We, we have living examples with alcohol. Alcohol use has gone down. Tobacco use has gone down. And frankly, the opioid prescription epidemic is almost over and primarily because of the important work in primary prevention. The work in treatment is essential. Of course, our goal is to treat people who have a problem. But overall, we would like to have less people who need treatment. We want to diminish the disease of addiction. And to do that, we need a lot more work in primary prevention. Like, a, you know, my husband's a dentist. I want more people to brush their teeth and not need to have, you know, fillings and root canals. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and if, if it's as simple as brushing your teeth, you know, then why can't and, and really not using substances is as simple as brushing your teeth. And the conversation can be as simple with your children, too. You know, start it as young as possible and keep it continue those conversations as they get older and they will understand the value of not using substance and they will do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so with your work in, in educating on communication um, and how to communicate, do you have um, a story uh, to give an example of one of the coalitions that, that you train that some story from a community that stands out to you? Oh my goodness. There, there's a myriad of stories. There's so many stories that, you know, um, one of them, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't even know if I could cut it down to one, but I will say that many times I've heard from coalitions that, um, you know, the, the impact of their work, all volunteers, so many often, often, especially in rural communities like there are in Missouri, um, it's just a group of people getting together that see a problem and want to address it and, and want to do something. But I had two young girls in a rural coalition in Missouri that um, both of them had older siblings who used substances. And again, from lessons learned from negative situations, they got together and created this mini rap I guess I want to call it, but they went back and forth doing their lines and, and they put it on YouTube. They shared it in schools and, and, and they came away feeling more empowered than, um, you can imagine. And they, the one of the things one of the young ladies said to me was, I can't believe that our story made a difference to so many people, but every time I would get stopped in the store or on the street and people would be like, oh my gosh, I saw your, your rep or whatever. I don't know what they called it. It wasn't really a rep. <laughs> um, I saw your skit and it was so great and, and it really made a difference. And, and I'm so, I'm so proud of you. It took so much courage and they were empowered to go off to college and, and go on in their lives. Um, and one of them started a, a whole drug-free uh, college campus movement on the campus. Wow. That she, it's empowering young people with positive to, you know, to stay focused on what's important in life happens every day. You know, it's so rewarding. 
and so wonderful. And I'm sure there's a million stories out there that I'd love to hear more of them. And I, I, it was just the first one that came to my mind. <laughs> I love that. And you know what? We're again, especially as a physician, we're so focused on like data and science, but really sometimes the answer is creative arts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> taking that, you know, complicated scientific message and making it into something beautiful that people enjoy watching and then learning from. That's, that's really nice. Absolutely. So do you have advice with all the work that you do to Tierra, which is, you know, such a wonderful young girl who's starting her, her young life with kind of like many examples that you said, she's obviously going to be a leader in her community and in her life and out for, um, you know, a great future. And do you have advice to her as a, as a young person who's interested in prevention? Yes. You know, I mean, empower, again, empowering youth is, is my, my key, but ensuring that your community has the protective factors and that the leaders in your communities are focused on those protective factors. You know, yes, it's important tax dollars and sales and, and businesses. Certainly we've seen the dire consequences of businesses, but at, at what cost is selling to a minor? Um, is it worth it? You know, is it, it the percentages aren't there? Um, we've learned that raising the age of tobacco sales to 21, you, there is minimal, if any, it was minimal, the tax revenue that's lost. And it certainly far outweighs the consequences on the other side of public health costs of COPD and all the, the lung disease and, and heart disease that smoking costs, causes, um, people. And so, the balance, the trade-off is that you have a healthier community, you have a, a lively, thriving community versus one that's that's struggling and, and full of health problems and consequences in later years. <laughs> so Tira Safir, so you are empowered. You heard it right from Dr. Joy Sweeney. You're empowered. And so I really thank you for your question and your young leadership and their adults now who have amazing careers when they started in uh, youth drug prevention advocacy, just like you. So I have no doubt, and I'm very excited for your future that you have ahead of you. Dr. Joy Sweeney, thank you. Thank you so much for your leadership at CADCA and helping coalitions and building a workforce and your commitment to prevention. And I wish you and CADCA the very best and success. Thank you so much. I'm so proud and grateful to be here representing CADCA. And I truly appreciate your time, Dr. Lev, and your efforts um, in the prevention world. Thank you. Thank you very much. Prevention is stronger together. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from CADCA. Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. CADCA builds drug-free communities across the United States, U.S. territories, and over 30 countries across the globe. Every day, CADCA trains. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us at hightruths.com. We want to hear from you. Post a comment or email us about one thing you learned from this program. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us a five-star review. And subscribe so you won't miss any of our information-packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, 
take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions, and I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths. 